Well, I have a confession to make. I know you always look forward to these. I love the Charlie Brown Peanuts Christmas special. It's like you can almost hear the theme song in your mind, you know. And what I, besides like the cultural and political jabs that are so cleverly in these endearing cartoons, I love the fact that Linus, with that blue blanket, somehow always brings us to that holy moment, right, where everyone slows down and we capture the true meaning of Christmas. And I don't know about you, but I see a lot of myself, I think, in Charlie Brown and the gang. Because Christmas for Charlie Brown is hectic and busy. It can be complicated. Never seems like the expectations are met quite right, and some of his own expectations are not met. But then there's that moment when we center in, and Chuck gets it, and we get it. And hopefully you've had that moment this Christmas season. I think for me it's just slowly started settling in. It's been a mad rush, I feel like, to get to the 25th. But when you get to those moments, it seems like our expectations begin to change. When God feels present, when we feel like we're walking closer with God, our expectations begin to change, I think, a little bit. And we have maybe a heightened sense because of our spiritual awareness. We're a little more keen to what God is doing, our own faith journey. And so when we're praying, we pray a little bit with more fervency. And we attach to that this expectation that, you know what, God is going to answer our prayers and that blessing is going to follow. That when we're walking close with God and we sense His Spirit, things are going to work out for the good for me. It's almost like when we're close with God, we expect the tensions to melt away and the problems to dissipate. We pray that those dark nights of the soul and that grief will begin going away, that wounded marriages will be healed, those deep longings for romance or for a child or for a better job or maybe just for a job, those desires will be fulfilled. Tragedies will go away, and there'll be a happy ending around the next corner. In short, we sometimes think that God will reward us in some way according to our timetable because now we're walking closer to him. Do you find yourself kind of with expectations like that around the, the Christmas and Easter seasons, those high times when we're a little closer to God? Our expectations begin to shift. And in some ways, I think this is good. Because when we walk with God in a much more intimate way, we're changed. God is working in our heart and soul that we are transformed by his Holy Spirit. And we enter into our lives and our circumstances and situations differently. But I think there is a small trap in these shifting expectations as well. And the trap is that If we're not careful, our understanding of how God works and moves, we can slide into a sophisticated form of the prosperity gospel. And you say, no, 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 we're not, it's not like those guys on TV to say, if you just trust God and you give, kind of like Bill Clark was saying, you're going to get that Cadillac at the end of the year, right? But the, the prosperity gospel goes something like that following God should work out to my advantage that it should be for my good, it should be for my blessing, which means that I should get what I want. 
in some way, shape, or form. And friends, this version of the gospel is all around us. And especially in our teen and young adult culture, um, this version of the gospel, seeing God as a divine waiter, um, is very prevalent, I'm telling you. And they're inheriting it from somewhere. And so I, don't, I know we're not going to go all the way, swing the pendulum. We're a solid Bible-teaching church. So um, we don't see God as this cosmic divine waiter that whenever we're ready to beckon him over, he's going to give us what we need. Or like some genie that when we're ready to rub the lamp with the right heart motives, that poof, he's going to give us those desires and meet those needs that we're asking for. <clears throat> but... I do want us to be careful because within us, I think there's those expectations that if we are serious about Jesus, then things are going to work out well for us. That after all, God loves us and he wants to give us good things. Jesus even said that. In our lectionary passages this week, I don't know if you had a chance to read them, but spend time with them this week because there's a profound message I think contained in those that we're going to talk about today because they reveal to us what it means to be faithful and how God works in our expectations. In the story of Matthew, we encounter John the Baptist. Now, I know John the Baptist doesn't show up in Charlie Brown's Christmas special or probably any of our Christmas specials. We don't see much of John the Baptist. If Mary and Elizabeth weren't related, Elizabeth was the mother of John. Mary was the mother of... See, didn't I tell you we're a strong Bible-teaching church? (laughs) If they weren't related, we probably would have not even heard of John until somewhere around the baptism of Jesus. But John, in fact, is very much in the Christmas story, even before he's born. And I think John has a lot to show us today, especially in this season where we're, we're a little more aware of our own faith journeys. So consider John for a second. He grew up with Jesus as a distant family member. They were probably together on those high seasons in the Jewish calendar. Um, John becomes the prophet that the prophets prophesied for. Try saying that three times. He was the voice of the one calling in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord, the Messiah, Isaiah 40. He baptized Jesus and saw the dove descend down, the spirit on Jesus. He heard God's words of affirmation of his son, He saw and heard the works of Jesus in and around his ministry. That's a pretty good seat to the ushering into the kingdom of God that this baby in the manger initiates and brings us in our world. And then we encounter these words in Matthew chapter 11. It says, when John, who was in prison, remember that, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble or turn away on account of me. I've always been intrigued by John's question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Why does John ask this question? Why does John seem to be doubting in some way? Given all that John knew, all that he saw, all that he experienced, how does he come to Jesus with this question? Are you the one who we are, are you the one who is to come, or 
should I expect someone else, something different? And I think there's a few reasons. I want to consider two of them why John may have asked this question. The first is that John may have had different expectations for how this kingdom of God and how Jesus was supposed to work out. And uh, a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 3, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one. Remember his question? Are you the one to come? But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. I will baptize, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The one coming was to be powerful. The one coming was to make all things right. The one coming was to usher in a new politic, a new ethic that was going to overturn and overthrow the oppression and the suppression of Rome at that time that God's people were living under. The problem is with Jesus, this hasn't happened yet, at least not in that way. Jesus is preaching and teaching. He's giving nice messages on godly morality on the Sermon on the Mount. He's caring for people. He's healing people. But he's not overturning the powers of the nation, the government. And for John, his vision of kingdom and salvation and victory, those expectations are not being met. And so John, maybe like us, sometimes come to God, come to Jesus, with maybe a different expectation than what God is really doing. The second reason is that, you remember, where, where is John when we read these words? in prison. Maybe he's got a little bit of a crisis of faith here because literally his neck is on the line. Herod and Herodias hate him. He's in jail. He's heading for execution shortly. His life is in jeopardy, and he's given everything to Jesus. He's given everything to God, to this new kingdom that he truly believed Jesus was bringing in, but it wasn't leading to blessing like John thought it was supposed to. And I think John is asking, with a gut-wrenching from the depths of his soul, Jesus, are you the one to come? If you're the one who you say you are, if you're the one who I believe you to be, the one who I really need you to be, will you help a cousin out and get me out of jail? Because I have given everything to follow you and to help you make this kingdom a reality. And the words that Jesus shares back with John, I think, are equally fascinating. Jesus says, John, I'm paraphrasing here, you need to have faith, like we need to have faith. And faith comes from seeing and hearing what is happening in the kingdom all around you. Jesus reminds John of a few words that were at the core of Israel's hope in Isaiah 35 when he says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble or turn away on account of me. Now that sounds nice, and it sounds good, but when your life is about to be taken from you, what you're looking for is not some warm sentiment, a little pick-me-up in that reality. You're looking for real change. And shortly after these words, you go a couple chapters ahead to Matthew 14, John is beheaded, Herodias laughs, and Jesus grieves, and that's the end of the story of John the Baptist. 
Now, I need you to hang in there, because I know this is not the typical Christmas message you're used to hearing this time of year. Some of you are about ready to shout, May Day, the ship is going down, and you're wondering what Dan's talking about right now. But hang with me, (laughs) hang with me, because we're going to go somewhere with this, because there's a few other passages in our lectionary this week that we're going to piece this together like a puzzle. Let me share with you what John would have heard in Jesus' words, because Isaiah is the most famous of prophets. It's quoted more than any other prophet in the, old, in, the, in the New Testament. And Isaiah is laced with this hope of the Messiah, right, where God is going to rule again. And John knew that, or Jesus knew that both John and the people, they would have known this passage out of Isaiah. It would have been taught in their synagogues because they were waiting and yearning for this Messiah who was to come who was going to reestablish God's rule. God was to be king through his people and the nation subject to them, not the other way around. And they are very poor and they are persecuted and they are uh, in pretty desperate situation at the time when this scripture is written. And the prophets, Isaiah, right? This was their hope. This was their source of hope and peace and joy like these candles remind us of. In chapter 35, that's where Jesus quotes Isaiah, um, this whole chapter is about turning from the foolishness of trusting in the nations of those powers around you and to have a resolute trust in God, to be faithful in God alone. And those who trust in the Lord are going to experience the kingdom in a profound, life-changing way. That's that list of things that Jesus was talking about. Everything changes when you trust God in that way. And for John, hearing that Isaiah passage, it would have been the Linus moment for him. It would have been the aha, I get it now, Jesus moment for John. Because Jesus is telling John to say, stand firm in your faith. Okay, don't fall away or stumble because of your circumstances. Live with an expecting faithfulness for what I'm doing. Because God is working out his purposes, and you can take great confidence in that fact. This reality has fueled God's people and hope and peace and joy throughout the centuries, and we're reminded of that again today. Now, keeping it in the family, James was the brother of Jesus. This is another one of our lectionary passages this morning. James wrote the book of James, very clever title of a book. And, uh, but James is writing to people who are poor, right? Jesus has now come. He's been risen. He's risen, right? He's our conquering king, but yet... Rome's still in power. People are still poor, right? That it's, they're facing a lot of challenges. They're being taken advantage of, especially by those who are rich and with status. And John is writing to his readers to say, move from these desires of immediate gratification. I know your needs. I know your desires, and they're real, right? They're not like, I want a Cadillac. They're like, you're being persecuted. You're being taken advantage of. But don't get hung up on that. Look in kind of this patient expectation to the kingdom of God, what God is doing in and around you. In chapter 5 of James, we read this. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting. If you know farmers, like patient is not necessarily in a farmer's vocabulary. I grew up in Ohio. There were cornfields on three sides of our town. This patience that James is talking about, it's like an eager, like, ready to charge in, wanting to go kind of patience. It's not a sitting back, do nothing 
It's kind of like me sitting at a red light waiting for it to turn green, looking to the person next to me saying, I am going to get out of these gates quick, and I will beat you to that next light, which is always red, the next one I get to. Anyway, that's that kind of patience, right? It's that eager, courageous, expecting patience. And to, even though this is a simple little phrase, like when these autumn and spring rains, like this is imagery of salvation, right? When the, the harvest, that this, uh, this abundant, this valuable crop harvest has to do with fulfillment, has to do with judgment that we see. So James is saying, be patient because the salvation you're experiencing, it's moving, so it will be fulfilled. Wait for it. Lean into it. It's, it's coming. So be patient for that day. James says, you too be patient and stand firm. Remember those words to John. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And how easy it is when we're in those desperate places or we have those unmet needs and wants, how easy it is to start grumbling, biting, devouring others around us or the situations around us to get distracted there instead of keeping our eyes focused on that resolute trust in God. He says, brother and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. When I read James' words, I'm reminded of Paul in Romans. When he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, we worship at Christmas because of the gift that was given to us, God's Son. And now that we're on the other side of that gift, God is saying, if you really want to worship and see what I'm doing, give yourselves in that same way. That's true worship. And we do that by not conforming to the patterns of this world, which is about taking and getting, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Literally change the way you think about all of this. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, you'll stand firm with confidence in God. You will see and hear what he's doing, and then your expectations will be aligned in that proper way. Returning back to James, that last verse where John says, look to the prophets. You know, that's kind of a throwaway verse. We, we have some of these verses of scripture that, you know, that first part of James, that seemed pretty good. Not sure what he's talking about there, and then you kind of move on to the next good nugget. But I think there's something to hear when he says, look to the prophets. Another unlikely prophet, keeping it in the family again, is Mary. In Luke chapter 1, we have this amazing song that she writes. We call it the Magnificat. But it's a liberation song for the poor. Before Jesus is born, she writes this liberation song for the Anoim, is what the poor would have been called back then, which John the Baptist and the people of James would have known well. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been merciful, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Humble state is not like this spiritual, highly spiritualized. It's the dirt poor, no status, Pregnant, unmarried, like the, like the bottom rung on the ladder. But God has remembered me even there. For now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him, who are faithful. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble, the poor. He has filled, he has uh, 
filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised the ancestors and the prophets. Mary is advocating for the poor, the unjust, the suffering, and is screaming out in victorious song long before it happens, my boy is going to take you down. Something new is coming. The kingdom of God is breaking in in a way like it never has before. That is an expecting faithfulness, not unlike Isaiah or James and even John the Baptist. So I want to bring this all together for us because we have these different puzzle pieces hanging out, hanging out there. But I really want to zero in on what this expecting faithfulness is all about. The big picture of life is not about God. It, it, the big picture of life is all about um, it's all about God. It's all about God's kingdom and God's will being done on earth. It's about His what's happening now in the kingdom of God. That is what life is all about. And it's not so much about our own wants and desires and even those desperate needs that sometimes we call out for. And that's a hard pill to swallow because life is full of very real and very personal hardship, trials, pain, grief, times of persecution, injustice, attacks, and so on. And we want it fixed. And we want it fixed now. But, and there's going to be times when we're asking those deep questions just like John the Baptist was of Jesus. We're asking God, are you really the one? Will you fix this mess? Can you fix this mess? Will you heal the pain? Will you heal my body? Will you take away that cancer? Do you care that I'm being taken advantage of? Jesus, will you or will you not come and help me now? These are deep, gut-wrenching questions, and some of you are asking those right now, and you have great expectations around them. And if not, it's only a matter of time before all of us in some way some shape or form, we're going to be asking similar questions because we hit those crisis points in our faith journey. And in all of these, God is calling us to an expecting faithfulness. Expecting is the example of the prophets that we have that remind us that God is alive and that he is active in our world, that he is accomplishing his purposes through his people. Pay attention and you will see it, the prophets are telling us. Expecting is realizing that the kingdom has come through Jesus and that it is moving towards its fulfillment. James says it's closer now than it ever was. Okay, Keep looking for it. Be patient. Lean into it because it's coming. Have that courageous patience in this season because the harvest is coming when everything ultimately is going to be made right. You can expect it. And faithfulness is because we are living in this gap. The people were yearning for a Messiah to come. And he came, hallelujah. And now we yearn for our Messiah to come again, right? That second coming, double hallelujah, when Jesus comes and everything ultimately will be restored. Everything will be fulfilled just as it should be. Faithfulness is Jesus' words to John, saying, don't stumble, don't turn away because of me. Hang in there, no matter your circumstances, because I'm good and I care and I'm right there with you. Faithfulness is Mary, against all reason, pregnant 
and unmarried, saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, Sam Weiss asks a question. He says, will all of our sad stories become untrue? We're asking that same question. Will all of our sad stories become untrue? In other words, will God finish our incomplete stories? Will this God's Son sent to us at Christmas really bring goodness out of evil, truth out of doubt, light out of darkness? Will God heal the wounds of abuse and addiction, of unfulfilled desires, of grief, of divorce, of trauma? Will our stories end well? Sam Weiss is asking. Will our stories end well? We often are asking. And friends, the answer to that question is an emphatic yes. Jesus, has, Jesus came as a baby and he rose as our king. And John the Baptist knows that now. John the Baptist knows the answer to that question is yes. And you know what? Our aching, longing, yearning, needing to be patient and faithful lives, we are going to know that yes as well. But until then, God is expecting our faithfulness. And with an expecting faithfulness, leaning on the prophets and the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, seeing and hearing what God is doing around us, we will have that same hope and peace and joy today and for the journey ahead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of your grace and mercy in our lives, and we confess that there are times when we're asking those questions like John was, are you really the one? Can you do this for me? Or Sam Weiss, when we're saying, will all of our sad stories become untrue? God, grow our sense of expectation and faithfulness because you are good and you do care and you are right there with us. Help us to be faithful for your glory and may we experience hope and peace and joy like we never have before. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.